You're listening to Your Recovered Life Series, True Stories from the Future, with your host, Courtney Webster. Hi, I'm Courtney Webster, and this is Your Recovered Life, and today I'm really happy to be joined by Tim Harrington. I'm going to give you a little bit of his backstory, and then he's going to fill you in on the details. In April of 2001, while living in his beat-up Honda Civic in Malibu, he hit his personal bottom with the disease of addiction. When his last resort to bail him out refused to, he went to the last house on the block in Santa Monica, where he had his conversion moment while reading How It Works from the Podium. In June 2002, at one year of recovery, Tim started working at a treatment center. It was here he was introduced to the concept of a sober companion. In 2008, Tim co-founded Sustainable Recovery, Inc. to provide custom, one-on-one, confidential support to those in early recovery or those that are still struggling with sobriety. He is trusted by high-profile clients, professionals, and treatment centers to provide support in many different phases of recovery. His specialty is bringing recovery home and on the road and finding the resources to meet the individual needs of each client. Tim lives near Aspen, Colorado with his phenomenal wife and two amazing daughters. So welcome, Tim. I'm so glad you could be here, and thanks for agreeing to have a conversation with me. Hi, Courtney. Okay. Good to be here. Cool. So the first question I like to ask is, have you found your calling? Yes. Good. That's a good start. <laughs> um, and so what is it? Um, my calling is, and over time it's changed, but it is today, just for today, is to advocate for recovery, is to be an advocate. That is first and foremost what I feel like is my calling. Um, and I get to do that professionally, but I'm, I'm very excited about doing it in my own community, um, advocating for recovery so, uh, so as to reduce stigma. I think this is one of the biggest issues that we face as a recovering community, um, considering that you know, there's about 23 million people somewhere in there that would qualify for addiction treatment and about a million of them <laughs> maybe get treatment. Mm-hmm. So, and there's a variety of reasons why, but I think that, you know, for myself, I had, I had stigma myself for myself. Um, uh, so, but that was due to ignorance and not really understanding and just, you know, never anybody really, there wasn't, in, there was nothing in the community that said, it's okay. There's help. It was always like the opposite. Like you're a bad person or, you know, I thought that, or I perceived that. And then I just needed to get my, you know, stuff together. Mm-hmm. And so as I sit here today, after being in recovery for 12 and a half years, I can say that I know a lot more about the disease of addiction. I know a lot more about the variety of challenges that people face to reach recovery. Um, and so I feel like that's my calling is to sort of break that down and, 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 and talk about it, talk about my own recovery and then talk about, you know, how others can achieve it in the public. Cool. So that's like the, um, and I'm so glad you're doing that. <laughs> that's like, yes, we need more people doing that. And, um, so if that's the, if that's like the umbrella of what your calling is, how does that manifest? Like, what do you, what do you do? So, cause if somebody's watching this, right. And they're like, well, that's cool, but what do you do every day or what's your job? Like you have this great company. What, what, so what do you, what do you do? Every single day I join community through social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, 
um, different groups within Facebook, um, and I carry that message. I carry the message of that recovery is real, recovery is possible. Um, there's a variety of pathways to get there. Um, and if you have any questions, call me. Cool. Right. Got it. And so people hire you to help them get into treatment and then after treatment? Yeah, they'll hire me as uh, somebody who is post-treatment. I'm also an interventionist, trained interventionist. So uh, I can get them from the very beginning and walk them through the treatment process uh, and, you know, have them. I'd like to be involved with the families for the minimum of a year. Um, that's just a really good start um, for uh, a recovery plan. <laughs> it's great to hear this, like, passion, and you're an advocate, and here's how you show up, and you help people, and you've got a great idea about different ways, and I love your passion for it. It's fantastic. And I also have seen you on social media with your message, and there's times when I'm like, I'm sharing that, and amen, it's great. So you are out there doing it. And so um, what I want to find out is how you got there. All right. <laughs> right? So walk us through. So I was born in Kansas in 1965. <laughs> so why don't you start us after that conversion moment? Yeah. We get, we get sober, we get into recovery, and then what? I had other moments. I think we all have moments. It's sort of a – we're the sum of all the parts. So I had a lot of fits and starts in my life. I had a lot of um, dark, dark, dark times where – and then I had some really, really not so dark times. So, you know, it's sort of like the, my career, my addiction career, if you want to call it that, was, you know, like this. And so all the while striving for some kind of balance because this is uncomfortable. <laughs> this is really struggling. This is suffering. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of darkness in that. So coming to the moment where I was living in my car, it was like, you know, it was like being out of plans. You know, I didn't really have any more. That's not true. I did have plans. They were just really, really bad plans. They were just, I even think of them, I think of myself thinking of them then because it's very clear to me that very last week. And it was like, you're going to do what? You know, was, I was like laughing at myself in my car where I lived. And I finally was resigned my Myself to the fact that I should go back to a place that there was some glimmer of hope that I do remember hope existed. And so I think, you know, that's the very catalyst, I think, for any person's recovery is hope. I really, really believe that. And so wherever that hope takes you is great. Um, it may take you to celebrate recovery. It may take you to smart recovery. It may take you to a doctor. It doesn't really matter. Um, so it took me to the meeting, uh, you know, the last house in the block meeting, I read it and I freaked out and it was like, like, you know, I felt like Albert Brooks in broadcast news. I was like, you know, just flop sweating. And then, so I had a change. I did feel a change. And so from there it became like, okay, how am I going to sustain this change? I didn't use that language then, but it was like, so how do I navigate now that I know that I, that I can't drink and use and that's off the table for me. I realized that that solution is not working for me. So I have to find out how do I navigate the world without that as being my default of dealing with stress, disappointment, and all that stuff. What do I do now? Do I just come and hang out with you people? Go to meetings, drink bad coffee, and eat you know cheap cookies? Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, well, I can do that for a while, I guess. <laughs> but I got to get a job, and I got to get, you know, get stuff. I got to have things. This is my point of view 12 years ago. 
So how am I going to navigate? How am I going to get that stuff? Because right now I feel like a failure. I feel like I'm not qualified to do that. I may never get the stuff that I want. Um, and That's how you so, were feeling at that time. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was like, you know, because I'm looking now. Now I'm doing what a lot of people do in early recovery, and that's comparing my insides with everybody's high real. And that's painful. That's debilitating. That's that sucks. Right. And I think that's I think people other than I find myself doing it sometimes. And I got 12 years and I'm sometimes like, oh, that looks really great on Facebook. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> right. It can yeah. happen. Oh, shiny, shiny object. You know, it's like. Well, and it looks like, just like you're saying, comparing our insides to the highlight reel. That's, I just think that's, I love that people call it that now because that's what it is. That's what we're sharing. So anyway, that's a little aside, but. Right. And, and to compare is to despair. That causes disparity and that causes, you know, I mean, that's not doing wonders for one's self-esteem. So, and this is weird how my higher power works in my life, the, the universal source of, of everything, whatever that is. Um, decided to pair me off with somebody who had literally everything. Thing being the operative word. Um, but couldn't stay sober for the life of them. And so I was shown this sort of thing. Because if you'd have seen my wall, like like the blank wall that, that I decorated in my college dorm back in the 80s, it had yachts and models and fast cars and New York city and bright lights. And, and that's what I wanted and fame and, and all that kind of stuff that was going to fix me. I had that shaped hole in my perception. And so that was my goal. However, I was, you know, cut off at the knees by alcoholism and addiction along that path. And I just, it seemed always out of reach. I was like this, you know, and it's that's that can cause a lot of dark moments. That can cause depression, and it did in me for sure. Um, and so I was paired with this person who had everything, fifty million in the bank, and um, the house on the hill, and and the adoration of millions, and all of that stuff. And so it really highlighted in me the lesson is, you know, you know, after it was happening to me, was that you know, none of that stuff can sustain recovery. You can't buy it. Um, it doesn't come with a TV show or a movie or anything like that. Well, how did you even start working in treatment? Can you kind of do a broad stroke story about what happened Yeah, somebody there? said you should, and I said, how do you know that? And so I did. Okay. Because I didn't have any other – I had no other idea what I was going to do. I mean I did have some ideas, but people kept saying that's probably not a good idea, and that is like opening your own private, semi-private club on Sunset. Okay. As a newly recovering person with three months of sobriety. Mm-hmm. They discouraged that. They discouraged that, yes, very lovingly. Is this, a, is this an, an adult show? Oh, okay. <laughs> but anyway, so I, I did. I worked in it, and I was like, oh, I love this. Okay. And then I was like, well, I can't be like a – I can't work for $12 an hour and have a family and support a family. I've got to you – know, where, where can this go from here, from a program tech to something else? So I got back into that. Uh, there was a flux and I, somebody said, hey, you want to make a lot of money? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> so I went and worked on the sales job for a while. And I was just – it was it was about two and a half years. So I'd done, I'd done the treatment thing and I was like, I'm going to try something else. And I tried this and it was the sales gig. And I ended up at like two years – like almost two and a half years of sobriety, I ended up on the floor of my, my studio apartment in Beverly Hills. And the most pain I had ever been in 
post recovery post, you know, I, I remember this feeling when I was drinking and using, cause I was, you know, I was at the, the lowest I'd ever been, but I wasn't expecting to feel this way when I was in recovery. I, I'd assumed those days had gone and it snuck up on me and I was like, that's it. I'm going to leave. I'm leaving to me and I'm going to drink. I'm going to cut and run. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to disappear. And my girlfriend who became my wife said, just call one other person. So I did. And that person said, um, well, I understand what you're going through. However, um, you know, God moves mountains, but you got to bring a shovel sort of thing. And I cleaned it up. He said some pretty, some more direct language uh-huh. than that. <clears throat> and, and, and it was very hurtful at first. It stung, I guess. And I was like, nobody talks to me like that. No, nobody puts baby in the corner. Uh-huh. And it, and and then I was and then there was this overwhelming sense of like oh wow that's that's it and what that it is to me is that you have to do some things that you may not want to do as a part of the journey towards your destiny where you're going to be uncomfortable that was the that was another conversion moment that was another surrender and I remember people talking about there'll be multiple surrenders and mm-hmm. that's been my experience right. and so. I decided to go back and work in treatment and just, you know, and then things opened up. Somebody, you know, so said, why did you decide to do that? Well, because that meant a lot to me. Okay. I had a connection to that as opposed to the sales job, which the end result was going to be, you know, maybe some financial success, but no real, no bliss. So that, that, then that's what I've always wanted to connect with. That isn't a new concept for me, whether I was using or whether I was in recovery. The concept was always connecting with something that made me happy. Um, you know, now I found something that did, that I did connect with, and that was helping other people. And I, and that's, you know, and I, I know tons of other people that feel the same way, that that's what they've connected with in recovery is whether they have a different job, they've worked service into the job. So it's the service part. It's the service part. Ultimately, it does come down to that. I think that's what we're hardwired to do. So I'm curious what the question is. Like, what question did you ask yourself at that moment when you're like, okay, I got to pick up a shovel? Where did you go to? What are the questions you asked to to give yourself the answer of a direction? I didn't really have any questions. It was more like, you know, I heard people giving me direction that, resonated with me at that point when I was at another surrender or another bottom or whatever you want to call it. Uh, and so at that point, there was more willingness to just take an action rather than ask more questions. So they were saying, the, go to where your bliss is, go to what makes you feel yeah, good. What, what Are you doing what makes you happy? And I was like, no, not at all. Mm-hmm. Not even a little bit. Mm-hmm. In fact, it just makes me unhappy. And so there, I, so I'm going to, I'm going to actually, suggest that there was a question that you asked yourself, which was, well, what does make me happy? Yeah, but I was, yeah, but the answers that I would have, my pat answers, uh-huh. were, they were still not working. So it had to be, and that's, and, and to me, that's the uncomfortable part. It's like, you know, again, it's not really necessarily the result because, you know, my conditioning and my teachings has been to stay out of the results and to be in, in the moment and be here now. And then, have some faith that, you know, whatever happens is going to be the right thing for you. So I have to take off the table a lot of times what I think I need or what I think I want 
you know, my needs and wants. I mean, this is a, this is a this is a thing that I think we as humans deal with all the time. So it's like, are my needs being met? I had a sponsor who would always say, "So, uh, do you have money in your pocket? Do you have food? Do you have a roof over your head?" Um, blah blah blah. And I would invariably I would say, "Yeah," but not enough, not the right house, not the right car. Everything comes with the conditions. Mm-hmm. And those conditions cause a lot of pain. So I had to, part of this last surrender was to surrender the expectation of what I thought, again, was going to fill me up. Do you want to find a calling? Did you feel like there was something you were supposed to do or that you wanted to have a calling? Or was there any of that? What I've come around to is exactly what I thought was my calling years and years and years ago. But there was a there's a conspiracy of the self in a lot of ways. I believe in my story, and that is is like, yeah, that's all good, but it's like that's not going to get me, you know, the outside approval stuff. You know what I mean? Like, I was connected with the idea of being connected to other people. However, it seemed like I do that. I get back to that later once I had all the cash and prizes. Mm-hmm. Um, so <clears throat> there was a long gap. In between, you know, me having some idea and some connection with what it was that brought me joy, um, but as my disease or my disease grew, I got further away from that. And then certainly when I found drugs and alcohol, and I voluntarily took drugs and alcohol, I wasn't forced to take them, <laughs> um, but they lead you somewhere because my reaction to them was unlike lots of people's reactions they were particular to who i am so they took me on a ride and that ride took me off the path that i think you know that i eventually came back to is way is the way it feels like to me now that we're talking about it it's like i came full circle Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so you started work so you started working in treatment again and so to kind of so what? So how did you get from going back? Like I don't know what I'm doing, and going to back to work in treatment because because people are telling me to. Well, just, yeah. To now, how did what happened? So somebody called me and said, "Will you work on this movie with me as my onset my onset assistant?" And I said, "Yeah, that's great. Let's do that." And, it was and like, that is supporting their sobriety. Yeah, okay. yeah. It's he was a friend of mine, but you know, it was also sort of unsaid that that's you know I would be a support person, but for that because we both, you know, we're in, we're both the same. So we could, we could connect on that level. Um, so after that, I got a job with a person who is a broker of said services in Los Angeles. And I worked for them for, um, well, several years. I can't even think now I'm so bad with timelines. Um, still terrible with that. And then that job ended when I decided when I asked this person if I could move to Colorado and get out of LA and raise my kids here, she said, no problem. You can still work for me. And that's great. And three months, two months, about two months after I was here, she said that, that it wasn't going to work out. So that was the catalyst that, that ended up creating what I have now because I was just thrown into the, you know, I was just, I basically felt like the bottom had dropped out because here I am a father with a husband and two kids. And so I really went into like, I mean, what a crazy time that was. Every once in a while, Rob and I will talk about it. It was like, I just basically just, I freaked out. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you can hear it, but there are sirens going down the street. And I'm just like, they're just like perfect background for you. Like, yeah. and then, then. Yeah. I mean, it was like, I did need like, you know, I mean, I felt like I was just, it was so messed up. I was so angry. I was so like, 
what is happening? What kind of test is this? You know, I'm not ready for this test. This is not cool. And, you know, one of the lessons I've learned, there's a cliche like God gives you no more than you can handle. And I don't think that's true. I think he gives us a little more than we can handle because that really calls me to task. And that also invites me to ask others to join the fight. Because what I want to do is I want to handle it my own because I'm shamed now. I'm, I'm feeling shame. I'm triggered um, about, you know, I'm a failure. I have, you know, I should have known. I, you know, woulda, coulda, shoulda, all these different things come up. So what, what, what life is asking me is to put all that aside and just show up. And that's what I did. So at that point, all that I've learned in recovery, I'm the sum of all the parts and all the lessons and all the cliches and all the experience. And, and, and that's what that's for. So when things happen that seem unfair, that that's what you have, because guess what? I'm probably going to have another moment. (laughs) I know. I know. But, but we have the experience of having gone through them that we get to go, Oh wait, I've used this muscle before. You know, it's not usually that quick that I'm reminded of it. Usually I struggle a little bit and get mad and then go, wait, right? So there's some perspective. That's brilliant. Um, I love how you shared how that it wasn't just a straight line of, yeah, I started and then that there was a, oh my God, everything just kind of blew up. Did you think about, did you, did you think about quitting or did you think about changing your mind or was there anything like that going on? No, it was pretty strong inside me that I, that this is what I knew I wanted to do. Now, now speaking of a straight line, it was like, now I have to completely establish myself as somebody that somebody that other people can trust to do this. Because when you're in a broker situation, it's that person's reputation is on the line and, you know, their credibility. So now I have to re I have to establish that for myself. So, that's what I, you know, that was my struggle. And that was something that was definitely going to take time because that, those kinds of things take time. So in the meantime, what am I going to do? What do I have to do? I have to support my family. I have to show up for them. And so, you know, I eventually took a retail job so I could have income coming in while, yeah. And that was hard because it was, you know, that was shaming and that was like, you know, that went to my ego and, you know, it was really tough, but it ends up, you know, it always ends up that you're in the right, you're always in the right place <laughs> because I was able to help a lot of people while I was there mm-hmm. just being who I was. Um, so, you know, go figure. Right. I, I was, love that I, you share that. I, lo- I, I love that you share that because it's, it's your story, but it also is really human and it's showing up and just continuing to. I mean, I hate sometimes saying the cliches, but doing the next right indicated action was you need to take care of your family. You need to be making some money. And so what do you need to do? And so you did that. I, yeah, I just, I just did it. And it was huge, you know, swallowing pride and, you know, all that stuff. But, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, that is what creates character. It's, you know, there's a great line somebody somebody said to me a long time ago. They were like, "I'd rather have character than be a character." Mm-hmm. And it was like for me, it was like, "No, it's okay. I'll just be a character." Yeah, you know. And so because you know that was a defense. That was a that was a way to hide. And uh, and so certainly, if I had made a different choice, 
um, other than the one that's the hardest one at the time, um, I would be in a completely different place right now because the amount of pressure I was feeling at that time was tremendous. Mm -hmm. And it was the fact that I didn't crack, you know, thinking back on it now is amazing to me because it was the way that I was perceiving it was, was, uh, I was pretty hopeless at that time. You know, I'm just glad I, I just kept showing up. Yeah. Cool. So you, so you took the job you needed to, to keep the money coming in and you kept building your business and creating your own enterprise. Yeah. Yep. Just kept on doing that at the same time. And then money, so I'm going to, I'm, cause I want to kind of get us to, so then people started paying you to do what you were really wanting to do. And then you got to stop doing retail. And now you're this yeah. guy with your own company and people working for you. Yep. <laughs> I, I kind yeah. of fast forwarded through that, but that's no, but about I mean, it, that's, right? That's, that's how it happened. Well, cool. that's amazing. What do you, um, I, I'm so grateful that I, you know, I'm saying it again, but I am so grateful that you're sharing all of the, um, kind of the not pretty parts along the way. Because when we see people who have found their calling and they seem like, Tim, if I was to look at you, just look at your Facebook page, just be, I'd be like, man, that guy's really, you know, you've got it figured out. You've got a message. You've got a personality. You've got, but, you know, so we look at that and we go, I don't know how I would ever do that. So to, to have to pull the curtain back and say, this is what it looked like. It wasn't always pretty. And I love that you include that it's, and you know what? It's probably not going to look pretty again. Right, right. And I think, again, that goes to the idea of building characters. Uh, you know, the truth of everyone's story is always the same. And that is, is that, you know, if, you, if you're lucky enough to look back and be able to, to share that, you, that you, you, were in, you were going through hell and you didn't stop kind of thing. Um, I mean, that's the kind of legacy that I think anybody would want because it's, it's not always the outcome, you know what I mean? Because if I'm truthful, it's like wherever I am right now is it's just where I am now, and I'm I'm going somewhere else. This is I haven't landed anymore. This is not it. Um, so for me, it's like my destiny. What my destiny is asking of me is just to keep going. Um, I use an example on my iPad, like the iPad is like a square block in a city. And, and so I say on the long block is me, or, or in this case, this person I'm talking to, and then on the short block is destiny. And so what, what life is asking of us is to keep walking because although we can't see what this is, we don't know what it is. We can't quantify it. There's, it's asking me to just keep going regardless and just keep moving towards this next moment in your life where you're going to have the, the moment of clarity and the aha moment. You're like, and the sweat on your brow and you're going to say, oh, I'm so glad I didn't stop. Great. It and sounds, that's, that's what, that's my life. Don't stop. So yeah, don't stop. Keep moving <laughs> I, forward. I say it all the time. Just keep moving forward. So with that, you've given so many great messages, but I always like to ask if there's anything that you would want to, um, Tell somebody who was in this part of, you know, maybe they've got their 
what do they call it, sobriety job or what, you know, like early recovery or, or there, or they got like, for me, I got sober and I was working the job. I was working in TV production, but I knew it wasn't what I wanted to do long-term. There was something calling, but I didn't, something was calling me, but I had no idea what it was. So if there was somebody in that place and they're watching this, what would you want to tell them? You think, you know, but you have no idea. Just stay out of the, just stay out of the thought that you have, that you know, you don't know. But they want to know. Well, then just stay tuned. (laughs) No, I want to hear more. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I mean, I I can't. It's like the story of the guy who was carrying this big bag of shit. And that is his life. And, you know, it's stinky and it's it's ugly and it's shameful and it's there's a lot of guilt. But you don't drop it. Why? Why don't you drop it? Because it's your bag. Because, it, because it's your bag. It doesn't matter that it's weighing you down and, and all that stuff. And then you meet somebody on the road that it says, if you drop that bag, I promise that if you drop the rock, drop the bag, whatever metaphor you want to use, that you'll have a wonderful life. And then somebody like me goes, how wonderful. I don't need to know how wonderful. All I need to know is, is that I got to drop the rock. I got to let go. And then I got to stay tuned and I got to stay on the path and I got to stay moving forward. There's so much out of my control, but I can control that. I can stay on the path, on the beam, and I can do that. It's going to be uncomfortable and it's going to be hard and it's going to, you know, but that's life. Mm -hmm. So stay tuned. Don't let go. Don't change the channel. Just stay tuned. You'll get more signs. You know, in between the signs that that are gonna that are gonna reinvigorate your faith, they're gonna be your challenges. But you'll get another sign. You don't know when. You don't know what it's gonna be. You don't know. Stop thinking you have to know. Perfect, Tim. This was awesome. I you heard so many. You know, at the end sometimes I'll say, "Well, so what would you say?" And people can wrap it up in a little bit of a bow. Um, and you've given so many, like, there are so many bow-wrapped presents along the way of a message of, <laughs> of no, of just your experience and an encouragement for if somebody's in the same place by you sharing your experience. And it really was experience, strength, and hope. So thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you. It's and, great to see you. Great. And, do, and for doing what you're doing in the world, too. It's, uh, it rocks. Thank you. Okay. Thanks. Bye. Bye. To get in touch with Tim, check out his website, sustainablerecovery.net. To get in touch with me, check out my website at yourrecoveredlife.com. And if you have a true story to share, I'd love to hear from you. Send a note to Courtney at yourrecoveredlife.com. And thanks for listening.